everybody. Welcome on into this edition of Matt Kopman Presents What If. Today's What If is brought to you by, well, me, I suppose. I don't really have any sponsors yet for this show, so let's see if we can get that changed here in the near future. But make sure you click on the subscribe button, the like button, whatever you see on those podcast pages, and make sure you also check out Lance and Matt Plus, as well as all the previous recordings of the NWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle live from the Frickers in Finley, as well as the Frickers studios that we did throughout the year last year. But today, great show on tap for you. A big what-if question. What if Babe Ruth, the Sultan of Swat, the Maharaja of Mash, the great Bambino himself, was not traded to the New York Yankees? We're going to dive into that, a little bit of the Babe Ruth timeline and history, go over some of his stats, some of his records that he broke, that he set, go over some of his off-the-field issues and stories and things that occurred involving George Herman Ruth, as he's officially known, and also dive into another weird hypothetical, because the New York Yankees were not the only team looking to buy the Babe. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into it. Here is a little bit of history concerning George Herman Ruth, a.k.a. Babe Ruth. George Herman Babe Ruth Jr., nicknamed the Bambino and the Sultan of Swat, was an American baseball outfielder and pitcher who played 22 seasons in Major League Baseball from 1914 until 1935. By all accounts, his story really begins at the age of seven, when Ruth was sent to the St. Mary's Industrial School for Boys, a reformatory school where he learned life lessons and baseball skills from acclaimed reformer and evidently acclaimed disciplinarian and baseball player, Brother Matthias Boutier. In 1914, Ruth was signed to play minor league baseball for the hometown Baltimore Orioles, but then was very shortly sold to the Boston Red Sox. Babe Ruth made his Major League debut in 1914 and played in a grand total of five games for the Boston Red Sox, actually pitching in four of them. And that's something that's always forgotten about Babe Ruth. Not only was he an incredible home run hitter and great outfielder overall, he may have actually been the best left-handed pitcher in Major League Baseball at the time he entered the league. He was very, very well-renowned as a very accomplished pitcher, where he actually finished his rookie season with a 2-1 and one record. Obviously not a huge record overall, but when you look at his stat line, a career 2.3-something ERA is rather impressive for a guy that only pitched for five years. Most notably, the 1918 World Series, Babe Ruth pitched and hit in that decisive series that was up until 2004, the last time the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. Now, a little bit of backstory for the team at this point. The owner, Harry Farese, if I'm saying his name correctly, if not, oh well, not going to lose any sleep over it. This was a guy who seemed to like being involved in a lot of different things. He was a philanthropist. He was a baseball team owner in Major League Baseball. He was a Broadway producer. He was involved in textiles, he was involved in food, and more importantly, had a huge ongoing feud with the president of the American League at the time, Ban Johnson. Now, Ban Johnson and Farisi 
did not get along. Actually, so much so that Farisi tried to orchestrate a coup in Major League Baseball, getting former president William Howard Taft to take over as president. And that never sat too well with Johnson. As a matter of fact, made the Red Sox basically pariahs within the league. They were just absolutely blacklisted. No one would do any business with them. No one would trade with them. No one would work with them except a very small contingent of teams. Notably among those teams were the New York Yankees. Now fast forward to the fall of 1919. Boston Red Sox with a lineup that included Tris Speaker, Wyatt Hoyt, and Babe Ruth somehow finishes sixth in the league. So they're struggling on the field. Farisi is struggling in terms of financials. Because mind you, a little thing called World War I happened during this time, which made ticket sales very limited, which made the entertainment industry take a hit. Oh, and lest we forget, we were approaching the start of Prohibition, where Farisi also involved in alcohol sales. So this guy was looking at basically every possible scenario He was about to lose money. You get to December of 2019. Babe Ruth goes on vacation, sends a telegram to Farisi, demanding that his salary per year be doubled from $10,000 to $20,000. Now, for those of you at home thinking, oh my goodness, that's such a great deal. Remember, $10,000, $20,000 back then, according to today's numbers, are closer to about $300,000. This is a big deal. This is a lot of money. And naturally, Farisi uh, refused. He said, no way. No way am I going to be paying Babe Ruth that much money, mainly because I'm out of money, and also because I have other players that I need to pay, and I have other ventures that I need to pay, while also keeping a roof over my own head. Which, again, admittedly, Farisi, very rich man. Kind of silly to assume that he was having that severe problems, but in those times, he actually was. So picture this, you're Farisi, you're broke, the star player on your marquee organization is basically holding you hostage. He's saying, I'm not going to play again until you pay. He's taking a killing everywhere else in his business portfolio. So at this point, all the off-field stuff, all the other things going on with Babe Ruth, Farisi's like, I'm done. I'm just going to get rid of him. However, this is where Ban Johnson once again comes into play. Every other club in the American League, except two, New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox, actually sent forth a trade package of any variety for Babe freaking Ruth. That is the kind of power Rob Manfred probably dreams about each and every night. He goes to bed as the current commissioner of Major League Baseball. He knows tucks himself in, gets all nice and cozy, probably panders to most of the owners in Major League Baseball once again. And then dreams of a time where he can shut down entire trades to different teams because he's the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Oh, to dream. Oh, to dream, Rob Manfred. Uh, There'd be so many teams I'd be taken care of for some of the cheating and all the other nonsense. But you know what? That's not important right now. What's important is we're talking about Babe Ruth and what happened next. So what happened next in the actual history is on December 26th, 1919, Farisi agrees to a trade with the New York Yankees, who at the time were considered one of the laughingstock organizations of the American League, which, I'm not going to lie, doing the research for this particular episode, that blew my mind that the Yankees ever were terrible during this time. It seems like you only hear about the New York Yankees 
in the early 1900s. So what ended up happening is this. Yankees owner Jacob Ruppert and the greatest name in history of Major League Baseball, Tillinghast Lamadou Houston. That is a real name. One of the best names I've ever heard, ever, in the history of all sports. In the history of life, for that matter. Not going to lie, I'm considering making that the name of all of my children in the future going forward. Just Tillinghast. How, how could it be anything but? But anyway, they actually offered an all-cash deal of $100,000, which is $1.06 million in today's dollars. Fareezy, Rupert, and Houston obviously agreed to it in exchange for Ruth. The Red Sox ended up getting 125000 in cash and three $25,000 notes payable every year at a 6% interest. So they actually ended up getting more on this deal. They ended up getting 200000 by the time it was all said and done. But the other thing that they actually did was loaned Fareezy $300,000 as well. And here's where it gets good. They actually used the mortgage for Fenway Park as the collateral. So if Farisi didn't come up with his payments, the New York Yankees would have been able to say they owned Fenway Park. And not in the metaphorical Aaron Rodgers, I own you Chicago Bears sense. No, actually physically own the mortgage and the deed to Fenway Park, which would have just been absolutely insane. So they agreed to the deal. The deal was contingent on Ruth signing a new contract, which he did, and he officially became a member of the Yankees on December 26th. The deal was officially announced 10 days later on January 6th, 1920. The Boston Globe actually had a quote from Farisi that described the deal as this. You know, I really feel there should be like some old-timey music from this. I should have preferred to take players in exchange for Ruth. But no club could have given me the equivalent in men without wrecking itself, and so the deal had to be made on a cash basis. No other club could afford to give me the amount the Yankees had paid for him, and I don't mind saying I think they are taking a gamble. With this money, the Boston club can grow into the market and buy other players and have a stronger and better team in all respects than we would have if Ruth had remained with us. So that turned out to be a lie. The New York Times, on the other hand, absolutely got this one right. They crushed their prediction on this one. Their exact quote was, The short right field wall at the polo grounds should prove an easy target for Ruth next season, and, playing 77 games at home, it would not be surprising if Ruth surpassed his home run record of 29 circuit clouts next summer. Yeah, there, there he was going to surpass that. Now, for those of you that don't know the polo grounds, polo grounds were basically this long, rectangular-shaped baseball stadium or ballpark, whatever it's called. What makes it interesting is to center field was almost like 450 feet. It was massive. But to left and right field, it was only about 275 feet. Now, if, for those of you saying, well, that's still a long way to go, most Major League Baseball ballparks nowadays are at about 300-plus feet at minimum for left and right field. So Ruth got a lot of help with his home run hitting by being able to park it to super short decks in left field and in right field at the polo grounds. Now, it's also worth noting here that there's a big rumor or urban myth that the trade of Babe Ruth was actually to help Farisi bankroll a Broadway musical called No No Nanette, which the reason for that, in some research done by different journalists and people writing books and biographies about Babe Ruth, they focused on the fact that this was a play that started in December of 1919, 
in New York City. And that, that doesn't necessarily turn out to be true. Um, it actually sounds like it was starting to get originated at that time, but it actually didn't really hit anywhere until 1925. This was purely because Freezy was out of money, and more importantly, out of patience with Babe Ruth. Now from there, you can basically go into a running history of Babe Ruth and the New York Yankees because the fortunes of two teams changed dramatically after that trade. The Red Sox had won six pennants and five World Series in the first 19 seasons of the American League existing because the American League started right around 1900. The Yankees, on the other hand, had never won anything, but as soon as they got Babe Ruth, suddenly they got Babe Ruth. Then they also had Lou Gehrig. And we're able to pick up from there with an incredible tandem of home run hitters and absolutely ruled the 1920s and 30s, winning 14 pennants. So 14 American League titles in that time. Babe Ruth in 1920 would actually easily surpass his 29 home runs from the previous year. He hit 54, then went on to break his own record two more times. Because at the time, 54 was the most home runs ever hit in a single season. He did it again twice. In 1921, he hit 59 home runs. And then in 1927, he hit 60. Oh, and in between that 1923, he won the American League MVP. The rest about Babe Ruth, everyone knows. He went on to have an incredibly illustrious career. Finished his career with, I have the official stat line here. Let me just pull that up. Finished his entire career with the following stat line. He had 2,873 hits. 2,214 RBIs. He was walked 2,062 times. He struck out 1,330 times. More importantly, he hit 714 home runs, a record that would not be even remotely touched until Hammer and Hank Aaron broke it in his time when he hit 715. For the Atlanta Braves, I believe they were the Atlanta Braves at the time, may have still been the Milwaukee Braves, but worth noting, that Braves team was the last team Babe Ruth played for when they were the Boston Braves. On May 30th, 1935, Babe Ruth played in his final Major League Baseball game where he went 4-for-4, four four, drove in six runs, and hit three home runs in an 11-7 loss to the Pittsburgh Pirates over at Forbes Field. One of the first players in history to actually hit it over center field wall at Forbes Field. From there, in 1936, Babe Ruth was among some of the first five players elected into the Baseball Writers Association of America Hall of Fame, which, for the rest of us in the know, just know it as Cooperstown. November 1946, Babe Ruth is diagnosed with a tumor in his neck, and this is really where Babe Ruth's health really takes a decline, and it starts to become, in all essence, the end of Babe Ruth, and sadly, August 16th, 1948, Babe Ruth passes away at the age of 53 from cancer. So that's a general timeline of Babe Ruth. Now let's get back to the main point of this podcast, which is the what if. What if Babe Ruth was not traded to the New York Yankees? Now notice I didn't say, what if Babe Ruth stayed in Boston? which we'll address that here in just a moment. But remember, there was another trade option out there in the Chicago White Sox. We'll get to that one here in a little bit, but we'll start where he started his career in Boston. What would have happened had Babe Ruth stayed in Boston? 
by general accounts, the Yankees would still have been okay. They still would have been okay. They had a decent farm system. They were a team that was starting to improve and get on the up and up. The Red Sox, on the other hand, that's where things get a little interesting. Because you look at some of the stat lines throughout history, Babe Ruth, according to most metrics, was good for an additional 8 to 12 wins per season. You know, just someone with incredible talent being able to really help his team out night in and night out. Now, where it also gets interesting is you look at the roster that they had during that time. He still would have been a teammate with Tris Speaker, White Hoyt, Herb Pennock, Everett Scott, and Wally Shang, along with a ton of other players. Most metrics agree that the Red Sox would have at least won the AL pennant in 1920, 1921, and then potentially in Babe Ruth's MVP season of 1923, and then again in 1924. Now, those metrics are only based on the fact that you put all those guys together, their war average or whatever the weird metric that Major League Baseball uses nowadays puts them heads and tails above pretty much everyone else in the league. What it doesn't factor in is the fact that Farisi was still broke. So what does Farisi do? Not only did he sell Babe Ruth off to other teams, but he sold off those other guys over the course of the next two to three years. Tris Speaker, Wade Hoyt, Herb Pennock, Everett Scott, Wally Shang. You may sit there and go, well, they still have Babe Ruth. They'll be fine. And that may be the case. That very well may be the case. But you also gotta remember that Babe Ruth was not in the lineup every day because they were still having him pitch as well, which really hinders the idea of what they could have done. So the question that comes up more often than not is, if the Red Sox kept Babe Ruth, would they have avoided the curse? Would they have won the World Series? Would they have done all those things? And the answer is kind of, probably, yeah. Most likely would have won in the early 20s, probably when they still had Tris Speaker and those guys. But as soon as Babe Ruth would have been on his own in Boston, the simple fact of the matter is he probably would have ended up like a Barry Bonds or a Ted Williams or a Mike Trout nowadays. You know, a guy that is absolutely talented beyond compare, but not getting over the hurdle to the World Series because they just don't have the talent around them. You also got to remember the whole concept of the curse of the Bambino, the curse of Babe Ruth, really didn't start getting traction until the 1980s, especially 1986, and just some of the epic and historic ways the Boston Red Sox were losing World Series titles and losing AL pennants. I mean, really, if you want a good comparison, the previous episode when we talked about the Cleveland Browns and a history of futility with the drive, the fumble, Red Right 88, the, the move, I mean... You talk about a Cleveland curse. Boston was kind of going through a similar type of curse, or at least a belief in a curse, because they hadn't won anything since Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth got traded to the dreaded New York Yankees. The Yankees become a powerhouse, actually winning, I believe it was seven World Series and 15 pennants in that time. I mean, just an absurd number. I'm probably wrong on the pennants, but I know I'm not on the actual World Series. They did win a ton of World Series during that time. They were an incredible, incredible team. The fact of the matter is, the whole concept of a curse may still have happened. Babe Ruth being with the Boston Red Sox in the 1920s and 30s doesn't change Carlton Fisk, doesn't change Bill Buckner, 
it may change the early 20s of the New York Yankees, but it doesn't change the late 20s with Lou Gehrig and the scouting program that they put in place that led to guys like Joe DiMaggio, uh, Yogi Berra, Mickey Mantle, for Pete's sake. And the Yankees still would have built their stadium the way they did, most likely a little bit deeper to right field and left field to try and accommodate with modern baseball, but still relatively short right and left fields by comparison. So the Yankees probably would have still been the Yankees by the end of the 20s and 30s, but maybe wouldn't have had the incredible run of luck and just absolute dominance at the batter's box of Babe Ruth of the early 1920s. That would have still been in Boston, potentially still pitching, while also playing in the outfield from time to time. And you you got to imagine the other part of that, Babe Ruth's numbers didn't really take off, take off as a hitter until he got to New York. So are we still talking a Babe Ruth 60 home run season? Eh, maybe. It's possible. But it's also kind of hard to believe because he had so much help with the shape of the polo grounds, with the shape of Yankee Stadium once that was built. Kind of hard to imagine a situation where he's still cranking all those home runs. Now, I think a better question for what if he stayed in Boston is what happens to Babe Ruth? Is, does he still go down as one of the greatest players in the history of the game? And I think the answer is still yes. I still think he does. I think you just have to look at him differently. You're not looking at him as the absolute home run king of all time and the greatest to ever step into the box until you see Ted Williams with his average and then Hank Aaron in the 50s all the way to the 70s with his incredibly illustrious career. I think instead you're looking at him as a good multi-use player, the greatest multi-use player as a pitcher and as a hitter. So does he still end up in the Hall of Fame? I think so. I, I do. I really think Babe Ruth, if he stayed in Boston, would have ended up in the Hall of Fame still. By the same token, I don't think he ends up with the numbers that he did, whether it's hitting or even pitching. I think there would have been a drop-off eventually, especially with the way pitching was done at that time. It's, there was a, some semblance of a rotation, but not much. <laughs> you, you, you were pitching a lot if you were good, and Babe Ruth was a very good pitcher. So I think his numbers would have deflated quite a bit. But I still think he ends up in Cooperstown if he stays a Boston Red Sox. And I also think the curse still happens to the Red Sox as soon as those other players get sold by Farisi. I I think this was an organization that was moderately doomed regardless of Babe Ruth. They were going to still have success in the early 20s, but I think they were going to lose that success no matter what. And this actually dovetails into a very big point, which is the fact that Babe Ruth off the field... Whew, Nelly. Obviously, there's a ton of stories. There's a ton of history about what he would get into, what hijinks and nonsense he was involved in, the extracurricular activities, issues with his weight. I can relate. Um, But issues with his weight, issues with his health. He had a bit of a drinking problem during the seasons and even off-season. He was not really doing a good job staying in shape. So the other question that you have to ask is, if he stayed in Boston, had Farisi 
not absolutely waved the white flag and said, we got to get him out of here. Is it possible that Babe Ruth actually flames out because of his off-the-field stuff? And the answer to that is a very resounding maybe. Because he had issues when he was in New York, but they also really forced him to clean up his act in between the, the 1925 and 1926 season. They really told him he needed to step things up. And then 1927, he has his incredible 60 home run year, if I recall correctly. It was either 60, 27 or 28. But either way, he kind of had a bit of a lull in the mid-20s, like 1924, 25, and 26. He was really starting to see a decline, and it was because of stuff off the field. So had he not had New York, which was probably a distraction in its own right, but at the same time, maybe a more organized team, a more focused team than what you saw in Boston with Farisi having his hands in a lot of different projects at different times. Maybe there's a chance Babe Ruth flames out a little bit. We're not just talking about, you know, what if Babe Ruth never went to the Yankees? It's what if Babe Ruth never became Babe Ruth? That's another thing to consider. Maybe a what if in its own right. Just going off of some of his off-the-field stuff. But we'll, we'll cross that bridge another time. Because the one that I really find interesting is the other what if. In terms of what if Babe Ruth had not been traded to the Yankees. And that would be if he was traded to the Chicago White Sox instead. Now, we're going to have to go back into the records a little bit on this one because the simple fact of the matter is there's a few other things that you need to pay attention to with this. And that is that the White Sox were only one of two teams to offer anything to the Red Sox. One of two. Because we talked about a little bit earlier, Ban Johnson made everyone in the rest of the American League toe the line, and the White Sox and Yankees were the only teams willing to get involved. And the only reason the Yankees actually ended up getting, um, <laughs> ended up actually getting Babe Ruth is because the Yankees had actually won in court previously against Ban Johnson for a different player with Boston, Carl Mays, who in 1919 actually left the team vowing to never pitch for Boston again. Evidently in 1919, everybody hated Boston if you were a Boston Red Sox. Everyone was claiming they were never going to play for Boston again. He actually left the team, officially left the team. Ban Johnson wanted to suspend, wanted to suspend Mays, told Farisi to suspend him. The owner instead traded him to New York, and when Ban Johnson tried to block it, the Yankees actually fought it in court and won, and ended up being able to get Carl Mays. So that's how you had the Yankees involved. The White Sox, on the other hand, that is an interesting part of this. The White Sox actually were coming off of a huge scandal. The Chicago White Sox, or Black Sox as they are referred to for the 1918 team, rigged the World Series. And publicity was bad, press was bad, everything was bad. It was a really, really tough situation. Because of that, the White Sox offered a trade in the hopes that they would be able to get 
a new star player to help the team out. So they offered, and this I think is just an amazing offer, they actually offered the $100,000, same number as the New York Yankees, but they also offered outfielder Shoeless Joe Jackson, who at the time was considered one of the major stars in baseball. Huge star. Also was implicated in the Black Sox scandal. So this is where it becomes fun. That was a trade offer. Had Farisi taken that offer, the Boston Red Sox would have gotten exactly six months of shoeless Joe Jackson as their new star outfielder before he would have been banned for life from Major League Baseball because of the Black Sox scandal. Now, mind you, I'm of the camp that I don't think they should be banned for life anymore. It's just like they shouldn't ban Pete Rose for life anymore. But that's a conversation for another time. Had that end up happening, Babe Ruth ends up in Chicago. Babe Ruth actually ends up being the only thing in Chicago at that point. Because seven other players actually got banned for life during the Black Sox scandal. So you're talking about a Chicago White Sox team that has Babe Ruth and that's it. That's pretty much it. With a park in Comiskey Park where right field was actually 70 feet deeper, so almost 350 feet compared to the Yankees, you know, and for and Polo Grounds 275, 280, what that particular range. And just a little under 300 at Yankee Stadium. So at that point, the single-season home run record doesn't happen, at least not to the level it did of 60. Babe Ruth definitely doesn't hit 714 home runs. And the simple fact of the matter is, the Red Sox are now bad. The White Sox are really bad, but they have Babe Ruth. The Yankees kind of toil in... Uh, futility until the mid-20s, late-20s, when they get guys like Lou Gehrig, start scouting heavily, and, you know, the things that end up making them a dynasty going forward. Where it becomes really entertaining, at least for me, is the two teams that get benefited the most by this are Cleveland and the Athletics. Those two teams were constantly behind the Yankees, constantly behind the Red Sox, and honestly constantly behind the White Sox, for that matter, in terms of trying to be the best teams in the American League. So all of a sudden, Cleveland and the A's are actually winning. Probably win a couple more World Series. Probably get another World Series title in there for Cleveland. The A's probably win one or two as well. Babe Ruth ends up being a middle-of-the-road player as an afterthought in Chicago as that team is lost in the wilderness post-Black Sox scandal. And we may not even have Babe Ruth in the Hall of Fame. So, it's interesting. It's really fascinating to me, especially that trade. Because the only thing that made Farisi take the Yankees trade over the White Sox trade was an increase in money and a loan that was offered, as I mentioned earlier, the $300,000 loan that used the mortgage for Fenway Park as collateral. That was the turning point 
being able to offer that extra cash is the only thing that kept the Chicago White Sox trade from happening. So if anything, the White Sox being a stingy organization, we can thank them for the fact that Babe Ruth became Babe Ruth and that he went to the Yankees and that he ended up having the home runs at the Polo Grounds, which led to the house that Ruth built with Yankee Stadium, which led to seven pennants in 15 seasons. That's where I got wrong. Yes, 15 seasons that they had Babe Ruth, and they had seven pennants during that time. So they won seven AL pennants in that time. That's the part that I kind of messed up on. And you look throughout history, does baseball become a hitter's sport? Do you still get the home run craze of the 60s with guys like Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, Hank Greenberg? Do you still have guys like Ted Williams hitting the ball like crazy, averaging 400? Do you worry about performance-enhancing drugs in the 80s and 90s to try and catch guys like Babe Ruth and Roger Maris? I don't think you do. I think you end up in a pitcher's league. I think you end up with a lot of teams focusing on pitching, over the power hitting, maybe some teams still go power hitting, but I I think you could potentially, especially with the Chicago trade, look at a deal that fundamentally changes the game of Major League Baseball as we know it. So that, that I always think is very, very intriguing about this particular trade. And the other thing to keep in mind... A lot of people recognize Babe Ruth as the guy who turned around Major League Baseball. In the 1910s, early 1900s, baseball took a lot of hard hits. No pun intended. Between the scandals with the Chicago White Sox, players being involved in extremely racist situations and public situations, baseball was really getting a bad rap. Rightly so, worth mentioning, very rightly so. But Babe Ruth, a lot of people view him as the guy that helped turn baseball around because he was a celebrity, because he was a rock star. He was a person that made a lot of publicity for himself. But the other big thing is because of his background, because of being abandoned as a kid, because of growing up in a reform house, having a lot of fame and fortune and opportunity presented to him, the one thing you got to be able to say about Babe Ruth is that he did give back a lot, too. Always working with children's organizations, going to hospitals to visit kids. Everyone knows the famous story about calling his shot, hitting the two home runs for the young man who was in the hospital. Everybody knows that story. We're not going to dive into that story too much, if at all. But everyone knows those stories. Everyone knows the stories of Babe Ruth passing out money to the kids in the neighborhoods as he was driving around town. Everyone knows about him working with children's groups. Everyone knows about his charitable works. Everyone knows about how he would help out with players that were retiring, how he wanted to manage because he wanted to help other players. So... Do you end up with Babe Ruth being the goodwill ambassador for Major League Baseball? Probably not, especially if he goes to Chicago. My God. If he goes to Chicago, we might not even be talking about Babe Ruth in the Hall of Fame, let alone the hero 
of baseball in the 1920s. So, in a way, the what if Babe Ruth was not traded to the Yankees question really becomes what if Babe Ruth did not become the hero that baseball needed at that time. And maybe the hero baseball deserved. I, I had to throw a Batman reference in there. I just had to. There's no way I could just leave that hanging like that. So there you go. That's our what if for today. What if Babe Ruth was not traded to the New York Yankees? The answer to that is if he stayed in Boston, most likely a Hall of Famer. The curse still probably happens, though, after Babe Ruth is done. The Yankees still end up being good. And it becomes more of a pitcher's league. What happens if he's traded to Chicago? Oh, man, all sorts of bad stuff. He ends up not being a Hall of Famer. The single-season home run and career home run records are completely up in the air. Honestly, probably going to be held by Mickey Mantle then and Roger Maris in the 1960s for single-season as well as career. The Yankees aren't as good until the mid to late 20s. The Red Sox are bad. The White Sox are bad with Babe Ruth. And Cleveland ends up winning a World Series, so I think that's pretty good. But I think at the same time, you lose what made baseball great in the 20s, which was Babe Ruth hitting home runs, being a celebrity, taking care of kids, taking care of the community, and more importantly, saving Major League Baseball. So there we go. Another what if successfully what ifed. And so far, we have now successfully lived in an alternate timeline where the Cleveland Browns are a Super Bowl dynasty and Babe Ruth somehow stinks. So clearly, you're catching the nature of this show at this point as we're going to be diving into some weird stuff, some interesting what-if scenarios as time goes on. We're going to hit some that are not sports-related as well, I do promise. We just got to figure out what those are going to be. All right, well, as is tradition, I usually like to close these out with a couple things, in particular useless facts that may only interest me, as well as uh, this day in history. We're going to have a twofer on that one because I'm technically recording this. It is the wee hours of November 3rd as I'm recording this one, so we're going to actually use some of those. But here are the useless facts that I find absolutely fascinating. And here we go. Rubber bands last longer than refrigerated. Flamingos can only eat with their heads upside down. Alaska is the only state whose name is on one row on a keyboard. And speaking of words and letters, there are only four words in the English language which end in D-O-U-S. Tremendous, horrendous, stupendous, and hazardous. So you can think about that anytime you're typing out those words. If you need to figure out how they're spelled, I can't help you with the first letters and most of that le- word. But the last four, I can guarantee you, are D-O-U-S. So those are the useless facts that are only interesting probably to me. And then on this day in history, going to keep one historical. The other one is going to be baseball-related. On November 3rd, 1939, or I'm sorry, on November 3rd, 1956, the film Wizard of Oz aired on television for the first time and was seen by an estimated 
45 million viewers, the largest viewer base for a singular TV show at that time. It's been passed a few times since then, but still, remarkable feat in 1956. And then in 2016, a year which will live in infamy, after watching Golden State blow a 3-1 series lead against the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals that summer, Cleveland decided to blow their own 3-1 series lead, losing to the Chicago Cubs to capture the franchise's first World Series title in 108 years. You want to talk about curses? Chicago Cubs have a pretty compelling argument for a curse in their history. 108 years between World Series titles. Game was interrupted by a rain delay, and it actually started on November 2nd, but went on until about 1.30 in the morning on November 3rd. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. Make sure that you like or subscribe or click whatever buttons that are positive. If you want to hear more or recommend any ideas to me, please send them my way. Happy to take them. We're going to be making a official email for this one in a little bit, as well as most likely a Twitter. We'll do that once we pick up a little bit more steam for this one. And also make sure you click on Lance and Matt Plus. Check out those podcasts. They are phenomenal. I think there's some great work. We cover a ton of cool topics throughout the summer. Check out all the previous podcast coverage of the NWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios and the Frickers in Finley. Catch all the previous interviews that we've had over time. There's a ton of great content on those pages. Make sure you check them out. But make sure you stay tuned in. Next time, we'll be bringing you another high-quality edition of Matt Cotman Presents What If. For all of us here at Tri-County Broadcast Studios, I'm Matt Cotman. Thank you for listening, and I'm going to catch you guys next time.